What you're about to hear is a talkback for episode 8 of Streams and Variations. If you haven't heard episode 8 yet, please check that out first, as we will be discussing the stories and songs from that episode. Let's get to it. Welcome to the talkback for episode eight of Streams and Variations. My name is Sean Erker, and I'm here with the co-producer and usual host, Jamie Johnson. Hello. And I'm here with playwright, director, and actor, Brian Russell. How's everyone doing? And I'm here with poet, uh, theatrical art piece creator, actor in the past, uh, Danielle Richardson. Hello. Thanks for joining us. So I'm going to get right into it. Uh, Episode 8 of Streams and Variations started uh, with a prompt. And we start every episode with a prompt. And that prompt depends on whether or not the episode is starting with a songwriter or a playwright or a monologue writer. And when it is a songwriter, we send them a written prompt in the same way that uh, a songwriter in the middle of the episode would get a monologue to work off of. And for this one, we tried something different. What we did is we uh, solicited uh, some flash fiction and short poems from uh, some writers that we knew based on the same photograph. So uh, I circulated a photograph of uh, a woman in bed uh, reading. And that photograph was used uh, by these three artists to create uh, very short pieces, very short flash fiction that were kind of inspired by this. And I'm just going to read them out, if that's all right, to everyone, so we can hear it. So the first piece goes like this. She is burrowed in her bed, deep in the delicious indulgence that can only be found in an afternoon nap. Her badly in need of a cut, hair propped up by one too many pillows. Her beat secured over her ears, her books splayed open on her chest. The book she chose because of its hues of burgundy and aubergine. She loved purple and all its varieties. More than a quarter century ago, her friend shipped her a book for her 21st birthday. Back then, it was such a rare treat to get a package in the mail. When I am an old woman, I shall wear purple, was the title. She did not know it would become a prophecy. So that piece was written by Marlowe K. Shaw. Second piece goes like this. I have decided that today will pass easily and quietly, and I refuse to fall into the trap of all the hustle and bustle pushed my way. I've done my laundry and cleaned the dishes. The cat was fed, albeit later than the beast found acceptable. The scratches will heal. Today may be boring, but too often all days are. And that piece was written by Dave Merchant. And number three goes like this. I had bought a used collection of short stories, Cathedral by Raymond Carver, and when I opened the book, I saw an inscription written in black ink on the inside cover. For Ed, my dear friend, I hope these stories give you much pleasure and pause for thought about what really matters. Be happy and well. Andrea. Now I think about Ed and Andrea. What did they look and sound like? What might Ed have been going through? What was Andrea feeling? Will they ever learn that their friendship and message has lived on in this poem? And how many years has this note been waiting for me to find it? How did it ultimately arrive on that shelf in that bookstore, out of the hands of one owner, and into the next? Something about inscriptions, notes from the past, a story in 25 words, as meaningful as any of the others in this book. 
how timely Andrew's note arrived. Yes, a pause for thought about what really matters. And now, amid COVID and isolation, reading on the bed in my rented room on a cold day in Kingston, and then I think about the books that I've inscribed, and the books that have been inscribed to me. Will those words resonate years from now? Will they ever echo into someone else's ears? Who might read them as they lay on their bed? Will they find any meaning in them? Will those old words live on in someone else's poem? Well, I hope the inscriptions give them much pleasure too. Quote, be happy and well. And that was by Mark Martyr. So those pieces- good poems. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So those pieces, uh, we should do a separate episode. Yeah, inspiration we for the episodes. <laughs> so those pieces were sent to Peter Graham, who wrote his song uh, inspired by those. And that song was called, No Surprise. She would call out every blood. She knew I wasn't all that tough. Much like now. And I can hold my breath longer than the thought where you are now and it comes as no surprise now so that was recorded by peter graham and the peter graham band and uh i'm gonna start with jamie because you know peter pretty well what are uh, your thoughts on this song it's it's a very interesting song and and, and i'm glad you read mark's poem the song, the person who's singing is lyrically admiring of a woman, a very strong woman, a very clear woman, a woman who has her identity all wrapped up in one hand and and is not afraid to show it to anybody else. When I first heard the song, I said, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. It's, it's about a lover. And then I went, no, it's not about a lover. Wait a second. Then. That's 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 more like a, a friend. And then I went. No, not really, because it's not about a friend. And and I kept struggling with the concept of what is the relationship between the character, the person singing this song, and who the object of the song is. And all of a sudden I went, it's my mom. <laughs> well, that's because I circulated and, no, a photo no. of your mom, Jamie. So. <laughs> and no, I, I don't I don't mean it. Uh, I, I meant it as a bit of a laugh, too, but... My mother was a very strong woman. She was a person who was very sure of herself. She was very powerful in her own ability to be who and what she wanted to be. And I think that's what the whole point of the song is. I mean, it's about the admiration of a person for another person. And it doesn't have to be in a sexual way. It doesn't have to be in a friendship way. It just has to be in a way that that person sees the other person, period. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was incredibly astute of him to 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 pull that out of those poem the, those poems and those pieces. Well, I think it's interesting, and it's always hard to know uh, how much is us reading too much into things, or how much is intentional, or how much is real. <laughs> That's uh, always. But you know, the the start of this whole episode comes from people looking at a picture of a woman that they don't know and writing about. I wonder what that means. And so the fact that that then turns into, in your opinion, this song about this, the relationship seems undefined. This person, they're singing about someone and I can't figure out what the relationship is. You know, that kind of is maybe built into this from the beginning. That's kind of where this whole thing comes from. I, I think it is too. And I think it actually carries through for a little bit. But then we get, the, and and we'll talk about this later on as well. But the the definition and the concept of who's talking to who actually begins to change a little bit. 
So, Danielle, what did you think? Well, I think it's really interesting how knowing that this this lovely game of telephone all started with a photograph in our um, in our situation here for this episode. I think it's really interesting how a lot of that really did tie together, not just through this first translation from poems to this first song, but kind of the whole way through in an interesting way. So as a person, oh. part of the experiment, I'm kind of like, I want to see this picture. <laughs> my piece inspired by this photo and I don't know about it either because maybe it is right there's this in in, in many ways it actually is so we'll we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later but yeah it is yeah so that's one th- as, as soon as you said that that kind of undefined relationship I feel like that is almost a through thread through all of the pieces that really ties them all together so I found that extra fascinating and I mean it's also just audibly wonderful i was so impressed by the quality of all of the pieces in this episode as well what a joy to get to see where everyone's came from because of course i only saw my little bit before but um yeah it's it's kind of mind-blowing in a lot of ways seeing those connecting threads through the whole piece so it's been a a joy to witness all this other art as well along the way speaking about how uh how it relates to your piece, Danielle. Uh, This is, again, one of those perhaps reading too much into it. But when I uh, edit all the pieces together, I try to look for uh, reoccurring motifs, uh, particularly just because I have to come up with some sort of a title for these things. Um, And for this one, what I found, and again, it amused me, was this reoccurring notion of uh, water and water in different forms and in this in this song he describes uh this wet-eyed nostalgia which is a great little lyric it's a great poetic line wet-eyed nostalgia but you know i don't know uh nathan's not here to speak to his piece but uh whether or not that inspired uh the you know (laughs) water related elements uh in his story we'll uh see and we'll get to that later but brian what do you uh think about this song um it's it, you know to to echo what danielle said it's uh it's interesting when you talk about you know a photograph and you know it's of uh, a woman and being enamored by a photograph and all of a sudden it's like you know what's real and what isn't uh and the idea of uh, I, I guess too you know when you think about imagination and what is imagination well it's the birth of an idea uh, and I found that within all of those, within all the pieces that were a part of this particular episode, that was a theme that kind of seemed to carry over. Was the idea of you know uh, birth of of something within the imagination, like the mind games that we play on ourselves, the mind games that people play on each other, um, and the idea of like how do you how do you come out of all of that and continue to find yourself or find yourself again. Um, it's very almost revisiting because water is so there's no beginning or end right it's right. so viscous it's it's impossible to contain really unless you it, it will match the container it doesn't hold its own shape unless you freeze i know we're going science here that's not my piece <laughs> <laughs> Went we're too the real far. artists stop it we're in the we're in the rabbit hole but like i think that it's so interesting one seeing this kind of like strong woman emerge as a through theme through all of these pieces and in, in a lot yes, of and ways. in different incarnations too. Totally. That's, that's the part that has to, that we have to keep coming back to is that honestly, I think that this is the first time that there has been 
essentially the same character speaking throughout <laughs> the entire thing. So fascinating, huh? How yeah, you know, I mean, we're just sharing brains, I guess. But every single time it's from a slightly skewed perspective. There's always a new perspective of this person mm. going through that particular phase of, of his relationship or the day or or whatever way we want to latch on to it. That, that's what fascinated me about this whole thing is that mm -hmm. it, it really comes from one point of view, just in different facets. So I have some comments here from Peter uh, about his process. So he says that uh, I watched some old Roseanne reruns during the pandemic. <laughs> And it made me think of the loud, fun females in my life. I wanted to capture a deep friendship between opposites, and I wanted to refer to an inscription in a book, as was in the poems. What I read, I could picture in my mind, and it felt like a good launchpad for a story. And I really love that he said that, because it goes back to, well, it actually was a picture <laughs> that these people are writing about. So, you know... This flash, this flash fiction, these these writers are very good because apparently they captured that picture very, very well. Yeah, it was very interesting that, that, that not only that, but some of Peter's writing was very good, too, in that he was using the book in many different ways, too. He has that one line there. You took us by surprise when you were drawn to men on the margins. And mm. all of a sudden it was like, oh, is that supposed to be? Again, poetic license and all. But, you know, in your own mind, it's all of a sudden, is it? supposed to be about men who are on the margins or men who are in the margins of books because we're talking about yeah, inscriptions like inscription, we're talking yeah. about you know dedications of books from person to person who knows you know it's 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 interesting which mm -hmm. way he, he he took each one of those one of those little images well and people have very strong opinions about writing in books or not in general as oh, far yeah. as like if uh, if that's part of their process of reading and they want to see how they responded to the piece in real time and then revisit that experience later, or if they're kind of a, a publication purist who doesn't want to tamper <laughs> the page in any way, they're never going to dog your page, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sacred. And so I think that's a really interesting thing to pick up on with those notes in the margins and how that says a lot about the person that you're writing about and finding a book with someone else's treasures or gems, whether that be a note for who it's they're gifting it to or their personal responses to a piece in the margins. Like that's always fascinating. It's almost two artistic pieces in one. I'm very, uh, I'm very pro writing in books. Uh, I, I scribble all over my books. I underline. Uh, I have a copy of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird that has like an essay in it that someday I'm going to publish because I'm convinced it's genius. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the guy that drops off your used books at used bookstores. And when people find them, they go, oh, this is really cheap. And oh my gosh, there's tons of writing in here. Yeah, no, they would, they, they would never do it because they flip quickly. And <laughs> all you need to do is, is thumb through very quickly. And you'll see that it's, it's, you cannot resell that book. It's more than a <laughs> bargain. For hey, it. that's yeah. not true. I just picked up one, picked up one back in December uh, by Eden Robinson and uh, the entire thing was filled with notes from front to back and I was like oh wow this is so cool this is somebody's like essay on on some aspect of that particular book and I I was more fascinated by the in the end I was more fascinated yeah. by the writing in the margins than it was of the actual book um, not to say there's Why anything not? wrong about the book but it, it, it was just that that the margins were just fascinating on the back cover, did it say Sean Urker was here? No, unfortunately. <laughs> to Ed from Sean. <laughs> All right. So uh, that takes us into our next piece, I think. And so that piece went to Nathan Howe, 
who used it to write his monologue called Da Da. Me again. I'm on my block. The lights are off in my apartment, as far as I can tell. It's not dark yet, so can't be in an alley. So the park was a false alarm. I was yelling at strangers. I don't know. Maybe this year's surprise is that there is no surprise. No, pretty sure that's my brother's car. And is this? Who do I know? Uh, I'm going to start with Danielle because Danielle, uh, you know Nathan. Uh, we've all worked together many years ago in the old times before the flood. Uh, we all did a, a fringe show together at one point. We did uh, back in the olden days. So, what were your <laughs> the thoughts? olden days? You're not that old. Come on. <laughs> We went to the fringe on carriage, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> we parked our horse. We went in and we paid a nickel to see that show. <laughs> yeah, it was such a, a joy to discover that Nathan was also on this episode. Because, of course, I had no idea kind of being at the end of Telephone. So it was a pleasure to get to hear his work. Um, and I love the pacing that he is able to achieve in how he puts his monologues and his script writing together. There was this, I, I could almost like sense the person traveling and, and walking. I, I imagined them walking home. Again, I don't have the piece directly in front of me to know exactly how it all uh, unwound, but um, yeah, that pace of moving forward and almost working yourself up as you're moving towards what you're expecting or not expecting. So yeah, it was great to see him in here. What an exciting addition. And the ratcheting tension matches just this guy's bladder. That's the best part, is that he keeps <laughs> reminding the listener just how desperate his need for a bathroom is as he keeps getting more and more crazy and harassing people on the street and starting car alarms and, you know, jumping fences and running through the backyard, you know, and uh, until it all climaxes in, in, in something very water related. <laughs> very interesting way to put that one, yeah. An um, anti-climax I, in some ways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but more interesting than all of that was the fact that within the monologue, he uses the phrase from the character's point of view, I guess my girlfriend, which to <laughs> me was fascinating. And that to, it's, a, it's a lovely thing for a character to say in terms of, well, everything is defined that she is your girlfriend. She lives in the same apartment with you. You spend time <laughs> together. She's planning a, supposedly planning a surprise party. And the words that come out of your mouth are, I guess she's my girlfriend. Hmm. Very telling, that's for sure. Very, it's a, very it's telling. It's a very interesting choice, especially because later on he says, oh yeah, and we're in love. We're in love, but he guesses. She's yeah. his girlfriend. To me, honestly, <laughs> the way that I felt about that is that this character is just, he does, he's always on his edge with this woman. Like he just doesn't know what she's planning. Like she could just disappear one day and he'd be like, and I never saw her again. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think this particular character just has no sense of who he actually is. He's defining himself by his friend on the phone. He's defining himself by his maybe his girlfriend he's defining himself by the fact that his neighbors will let him do that because they're his neighbors you know there is there seems to be no real definition of who this guy is by himself 
Well, by the end of it, he's also a man covered in urine. So he doesn't well, that- exactly have the most amount of dignity. <laughs> well, there's there's also that lovely phrase in there that, the, that, that, that when he talks about, there may be something in my helmet, which is just then dropped. You have no idea That's what he's thinking could part. be in his helmet. That's my favorite part. My imagination goes wild with that. I have no idea. I am- something happened to him last year that we really yeah. don't know. And it's... <laughs> Which is actually even crazier. Like he's saying, oh, I, you know, she, she's my girlfriend, but she did this at least one year previous. So at least doing this for at least one year. She scares him all the time. But he loves her. And uh, just to just to speak on that boo part, I, I really love, this is just a writing thing, but I really loved the foreshadowing of that, of spilling his drink on his crotch he specifically specifies that this the drink was spilled on his crotch because of her and her obsession with spooking him and so it's, it's a very Chekhov's gun moment i think uh i really like that well some uh, people Bri- love to be scared right so they do maybe it's a piece where his True. perfect match is someone who is not necessarily going to lead him into a place of comfort all of the time and maybe that's in some ways comforting mm-hmm. that unpredictability but, is, but, but isn't her his rea- his reaction to her right from the very beginning one of fear well he does say she can be a little intense <laughs> <laughs> you get to the end of the monologue and you're like a little <laughs> yeah really <laughs> wow the other thing i really loved uh in the monologue is the line um it's her passion and how do you kill a passion? And it, and it's also the way uh, this this piece was read by Oliver Giorgio, who does a fantastic job. And it's the way that Oliver says that line. I love it, and it makes me laugh. And it sort of just it's it's both heartwarming and hilarious at the same time. I could just picture him going, and how do you kill a passion? Just the look, how happy she is when she makes me so sad and so miserable. I can't take that away from her. It's I love it. Well, they they do say that when you, uh, if you really truly love someone, you love them for everything. Yeah. So, Brian, what were your thoughts? Um, I really liked the piece a lot, actually. Uh, it, it brought a goofy smile to my face. Uh, I, I obviously listened to it more than once, and it, I, the last time I listened to it was before we did the recording tonight. I went out for my usual walk after work. I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to this uh, this episode one more time. And I just found myself grinning like an idiot while I was walking down the street listening to this thing. Um, uh, in terms of the the delivery of the monologue, you, I, I, what I, it really elevated, I think, the the piece because I really felt the intensity of this poor bastard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, to walk a mile in your shoes, no thank you. Well, they're um, very wet shoes. Right. You know, uh, so. But at the same time, I, ap- I, I, I absolutely loved his genuine affection for this person who just has this ridiculous crazy quirk that he's just decided nope this is this is who she is uh and i i even though and then i was like oh my god he's she's even made him paranoid about his own friends and family like the whole bit where he's just like you don't think i recognize you in glasses i know who you are i recognize you oh no no wait that's that's not him uh (laughs) so it was uh yeah it was very 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 entertaining and uh just just a just a delight to uh to listen to so nathan uh has a has a short little explanation here uh from what he took from Peter's piece. He says, I listened to Peter's song many times in a row and just threw notes onto the page. Uh, I was inspired by the lyrics and the tone to come up with the backstory for the relationship that uh, the song was singing about. And uh, so he mentioned specifically the card game where she calls on my bluffs. And 
uh, I ask myself, what does someone do when it comes as no surprise that there's going to be a surprise? Well, it's funny because it's like you think about think about something as simple as a roller coaster, right? You're going up, you're going up, you're going up. You know you're going to come down eventually, but you don't exactly know when it's coming until it finally hits you, and then that's when you scream your face off or laugh hysterically, depending on who you are, or you vomit. I don't know. <laughs> it makes me think of this spoken word piece that uh, poet Brent Chapel, who's also from Saskatoon, performs, and he talks about how he'd prefer to live with the tens and twos of life instead of being at a constant five. And I think that's what I think about this monologue is, is that this relationship is clearly tens and twos. Uh, <laughs> and you're living in a very alive way. And that is great for some people. And it's <laughs> not great for other people. Some people want to be consistent and at fives and they're cool with that. But some people want to live with the tens and twos in life. So, no. <laughs> so that brings us to our next piece. Uh, this is a uh, song by uh, Melanie Brule, and it is called Alley. The surprises are not to blame. Well, I don't know who to trust anymore. So just give me a minute to change. Oh, Alley. Drown in the games you play So uh, I'm going to start with Brian then. Brian, what were your thoughts on this piece and how it evolved from Nathan's? Um, it, it, well, it's funny because, you know, as we talked about prior to the recording tonight, one of the most interesting things about uh, this podcast and what you folks do is that you don't know what precedes what it is you're working from. So when I first heard the song, I took something very, very different from it. Hearing it in relation to the monologue that preceded it, I suddenly found myself laughing at the song. Whereas when the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fucking heartbreaking. Jeez. Hearing it the second, hearing it the second time, I was like, this is hilarious. This is somebody who just constantly doesn't know what their girlfriend is going to do next and lives in this adorable fear of it. <laughs> so uh, I took something very different from it the second time around, for sure. I think that's uh, one of the most amazing parts of the song, uh, is that I think the song exists in a very different place without the context than it does with the context. And that is, an inten is intentional on Melanie's part in the sense that she's crafted a song that seems very universal. And, you know, I can imagine her playing it and I can imagine everyone in the audience being like, I've been in that exact situation. I know exactly what she's talking about. Despite the fact that it's about a very specific situation that probably very few people have been in. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that's why she's such a great songwriter. And that's uh, one of the interesting parts of the ability of some songwriters to create universal ideas uh, from very specific experiences. She's taken that character from uh, Nathan's piece and said, if I just skew his perception just a tiny bit of his girlfriend, we don't give him all the paranoia. We don't, well, we go back to the five person that you were just talking about, Danielle, the person that lives in the constancy and we give him that, that same relationship then this is what comes out. 
this pain, this this kind of longing. It's coming from someone who just does not understand Ali and says, Ali, I don't get you. I don't understand why you have to be like this. And I don't think this is working. But the character in Nathan's piece does understand Ali. The character in Nathan's piece doesn't necessarily like that element of Ali, although likes Ali in general and loves Ali, but that one particular element doesn't quite care for it, but he still understands it. And so it is an interesting twist. It's that it's the twist from I get this, I know what it is, and I'm going to have to live with it, to I don't understand this. I don't know why you're like this, and I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 this this carry again. This is something I was saying earlier. This is what carries on throughout this entire stream of writing. Is that that same character? You've got the guy. You've got the situation. It's just his view of looking at the situation is just different. It's just a different way of looking at the same set of circumstances. And uh, I'll just throw out one more thing. Uh, she does include the line, "I drown in the games you play." So I'm just, you know. The water metaphor continues. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Danielle, what did you think? I loved the almost unrequited um, energy that seemed to stem from it. And in some ways I thought about um, Everything is Different, the song that I had to write my piece relating to. And I feel, I almost wonder if I would have been able to still write the same piece I created based on Allie. Like I, I see so many connections in almost the energetic um, or the way that those songs made me feel as I was listening to them. So I found that really fascinating and wonderful to um, see almost this different portrait of the character in Nathan's piece. It's like, is this a friend writing about the same person? How do we get a different angle of this character that is so uh, tens and twos with their partner, but maybe it is a different way when they're in a different relationship and therefore are responding differently there. So, and also just melodically. I mean, I adored the piece. I, it's beautiful. So yeah, it's a beautiful track. Love it. One thing uh, that I, that when you talk about the, you know, with, with the nature of this podcast and how uh, we kind of just go with what we're given, one thing I found interesting was how also my not only did my own perception change or uh, or mood change with the song once I knew it what it had come after, but even the version of the song that was on the final podcast because what I was sent sounded like something more like a raw demo. It was a, it was a slight titch slower than the version that was put on the podcast. So when I heard the song like again hearing it again, but now on the podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, this has. This has a totally different feel to it just based on the rhythm and the sound of it. It was very, very fascinating. Which is similar to sometimes just what happens when uh, a monologue is performed, you know, obviously. Uh, and we can come to you, but the way that Martin Sims performed your monologue gave it a very specific tone that uh, could have been different with a different approach. And... Uh, I think that is interesting because it, it always adds another layer. So Melanie has this to say about her piece. After reading the monologue that was sent to me, I found myself fascinated with the character's girlfriend, Allie. She seemed a little diagonal, a little wild, a little weird. And that tends to be what I am drawn to in life, the fringe. So yeah, she's a 10 and two woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I imagine what it would be like to be this woman's partner in a relationship that kind of takes over your world, whether you like it or not. 
There's excitement in this relationship, but it's also hard on the nervous system. Maybe I found it easier to write about this because I've been there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So there's a 10 and two woman with a five guy that just doesn't know what to do anymore. <laughs> so Brian, that takes us to your piece, your piece called Epitaph. But just because I'm different, just because I'm different, that doesn't mean I'm broken. Chloe, real or not, helps me recognize that and reminds me that I'm done feeling that way. And that I'm really done with the asshole parade made up of fair-weather friends who treat me like I don't belong. Chloe's become my rebound without consequence because no one gets... Whew. <laughs> yeah, so um, where do I begin with this? Because this is kind of a smorgasbord of, uh, of things. Uh, so, so as I said, I, I, I first heard the song uh, and I listened to it a number of times. And it really resonated something within me uh, just in terms of relationships. Like that's what, that's what it was about to me. It was about a relationship of two people who were together at one time or another and something somewhere along the way didn't, uh, didn't work out. Um, and now, now that I've heard the song, I, I feel, especially after the monologue that was that's preceding mine with uh, da da, um, I'm like, man, I, I went totally the other angle. So here's this monologue that's really light and and fluffy and silly and fun. And let's bring it all down. <laughs> um, but that's just because well, of... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that happens sometimes. We had a piece uh, in episode three uh, written by Tim Cadney. And there was a song near the end of the episode written by a gentleman named Jackson Simon. They know each other and they actually ended up talking about it. And they're like, oh, I'm doing uh, the podcast, Dreams and Variations. Oh, I'm also doing the podcast, Dreams and Variations. <laughs> Are we doing the same episode? What did you write about? Oh, I wrote about zombies. Oh, no, no, we can't possibly be doing the same episode because by the time it, no, mine had nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know they were like two pieces separated. Uh, but, wow. uh, you know, it, that's the fun of it is that it changes as it goes along, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the things that I, I love about what you guys do is that, you know, you can refer to it as a, like a broken telephone, which it very much is. And, you know, you have a piece that you have to work off of. And so what does it uh, what does it inspire to you or inspire you uh, to do or to write uh, what is in terms of a song or a monologue? So in this particular case with the song Ali, uh, I had listened to it. I, I, I had I felt a lot of emotions about this couple who whoever they were in my mind who had had some sort of a of a breakup, um, and and I thought okay well you know if this is about relationships it, it, to me it's about relationships and it's a messy breakup and what happens with any relationship where you're with somebody for a very long time and you do experience a breakup there's always going to be lingering feelings uh, and, uh, and and memories. And sometimes those uh, lingering feelings and memories can involve guilt and shame. That's kind of what I was getting from that. Um, and it's also different perspectives. Like, you know, you can always have the he said, she said, or she said, she said, he said, he said. Um, there's always going to be different perspectives and opinions in terms of what, what went on in that relationship, depending on, you know, your source, who it's coming from. Um, so for me, when I was hearing this, it was bringing up a lot of, it brought up a lot of things and it brought up a lot of memories for me. And just to give a little bit of history, when I started writing seriously, I was uh, still in high school. And at the time, I, you know, like most, like most new writers or early writers, I latched on to uh, a hero. I latched on to somebody who was inspiring me to write certain things and 
I would say the first four, maybe five full feature length screenplays that I wrote while I was in high school uh, were all very what you can call Tarantino-ized. Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino. I'd saw, I saw Reservoir Dogs. I hated the movie. I didn't know why a friend recommended it to me. I thought, maybe I'm missing something. I'll watch it again. I watched it again immediately the next morning, fell in love with it, and was quoting it for probably another three years. I just could not get enough of that movie and his work. And then eventually, I gave one of my screenplays to a teacher of mine. Uh, his name was Alan Stratton, and uh, he was my drama teacher. Yeah, he was my drama teacher and my playwriting teacher. And I said, well, you know, I wrote this script. Do you mind, you know, taking a look at it? It wasn't an assignment or anything. It was just something I did for fun. And I said, do you mind taking a look at it and let me know what you think? So he got back to me after reading the whole thing, and he gave me uh, a very lovely letter. And the beginning of the letter, he, he said, okay, this is, a, this is a really great piece. I really like this. I really like that. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, uh, you've submitted a lot of things in the playwriting class with your writing, and I want to talk to you about what you're writing about. And he said, I'm not hearing you. I'm not hearing your voice. It's okay to latch on to idols, but eventually you have to find your own voice. And if you don't like it, you can always go back, but every writer writes what they know, even if it's a completely fantastical rendition of what it is they know. And ever since that day, regardless of how fantastical my work might end up being, I'm always writing what I know and things based on personal experiences. So the monologue I wrote was very much that. When I started to write this monologue, I basically took pretty much all the ex-girlfriends I have and I threw, it, threw these ideas all into a blender and I'm like, what comes out? And out came Epitaph. Um, the first few lines of the song, you know, I spend the day looking over my shoulder, whether I'm up for it or not, you're going to occupy my thoughts. It's like, wow, the end of relationships are like death, right? Like go there's ghosts of, uh, of what was that linger in our memories and experiences that follow. We often look back. So I thought, you know, the idea of looking back, we often look back at what we had in memory and we wonder what went wrong. And as much as we want to get over our exes, they stay in our thoughts and they always hold a special place in our hearts. Now, when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, that can actually leave the person who was the receiver or was on the on the receiving end of the emotional abuse on the emotional abuse being fearful and mistrusting of people so as the song went on i suddenly thought of uh, i i suddenly came up with this idea of this character who was in a therapy session and he had gone through all of this stuff with his ex with his ex-girlfriend that um, that where he was in an, an emotionally abusive relationship and his coping mechanism was to create a fictional girlfriend. And it was kind of taking the idea of, they, they always say, uh, well, get a book and write down all of the traits that you're looking for in your ideal partner. Write it all down. That, it's, a, it's, an old exercise that they, it's an old exercise that they say that you should do in order to get clear about things. I thought, well, what if I took that to the next level? What if I took it at his coping mechanism in order to get over the, the, the guilt and the shame that he felt by not being the person who could fix her because that's what he was being blamed for, actually created this fictional girlfriend that he knows is not real, but that's his way of not having to actually discuss his problems with all of his friends. It's a very interesting monologue, but I'm going to slightly disagree with you on something. As an outside observer on the monologue, your, your, your character, the character character sorry the character you are using is um to me again to me he's very unreliable he's completely lying to himself all the time 
He's completely lying to the therapist all the time. My favorite is he's completely lying to Chloe all the time, too, even though Chloe is part of his own imagination. He's lying there, too. And instead of what you you said, it being a very dark piece, I actually found it. And I we talked about this a little bit earlier. I found it very funny. Now, d d dis despite all that, um, I loved Martin's take on it, but but for myself, I found it actually much lighter than 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 ever, than I think everybody else did. I didn't find it twisted and dark. I found it just actually very entertaining. I felt I felt I it was almost like in a Harvey way, if you if you want to uh, talk about it that way. This this imaginary character that does exist or doesn't exist that exists for him is his reality, and yet that reality is so twisted you don't know which way to go. And you don't know which way he's going to go. So it, it's a bit of a, a a struggle for me as an outside observer or the person that's per perceiving what's going on to understand what he's after. And in the end, what is he really after? Is he after his own sanity? Is he after a, a, a reason for the things that he's done or the reason of, of the things that she's done? I, that's where his real unreliability comes from for me, is that... In the end, I just don't know what this this particular character is really after. I uh, I, I have to sort of second uh, what Jamie is saying there, and I think part of this, as we were saying before about the different interpretations and the different gloss that comes on either uh, polishing up a demo track to be released on the podcast or having a performer interpret it. Uh, Martin gave his interpretation of the piece, and uh, he gives a great performance of it, and then I put some uh, background score over top of that. And based on Martin's interpretation, the background score kind of becomes a lot more, you know, creepy and disturbed and all this kind of stuff. And so it definitely gives that sense across, I think, in the final version that you hear. Uh, but, you know, when I originally did read it, I also did get a little bit of the absurdity in there. You know, I, I have to imagine, uh, you know, him having a separate chair there for Chloe. It, it just don't mind her. She's going to sit in on my, my <laughs> session here and I'm going <laughs> to talk about this. And I also, based on the, where this came from and the fact that these, you know, these characters seem to be related to one another. I just find it hilarious to think about the fact where he's, where, uh, you know, the character from Nathan's monologue is eventually going to be like, I'm going to create my own fictional girlfriend. that's <laughs> never going to scare me. I always know where she is. She's in the closet where I left her. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to bring up that I really did love the the, the use of the character of Chloe. Um, I, I loved her as a foil for his his own brain, and uh, uh, that uh, which I think is something that I will actually bring up in Danielle's piece. I'm not sure she'll agree with me, but I'm I'm going to bring that up as well in Danielle's piece. But um, I, I love the fact that he had somebody that he didn't have to disagree with in any way. I love the fact that this character had somebody that 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 put him on uh, what I wrote down here, the street that everybody wants to live on. I just really I don't even know how to put in words, because I, I just think that there's so many people who have gone through these kinds of relationships that are complicated and that you miss the person who has maybe treated you poorly or has been almost abusive and you have to try to reconcile that in your mind and and use your memory which is 
often an unreliable narrator or an unreliable source of information, but that's what we have. And how do those experience cha experiences change and those memories change as time happens and you're in different stages of grief and different stages of healing. And, and so I think it's interesting, like I know we're moving towards mine, I think of my piece as a piece of healing. So in this journey of this woman in the purple dress with our poems and how we move through all these pieces, I think this is such an interesting mountain and peak in the storyline. I think it really um, creates a beautiful narrative for the entire episode to have this dramatic um, account by your the person in your monologue who is unsure of how to trust themselves after experiencing some psychologically confusing and abusive relationship. I, I think it's fascinating and I think so many people can relate to that. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we're, we'll obviously get to your monologue, but just what, just to, you know, reflect on what you were saying there, which is really interesting here. You have this first monologue, which is this funny, silly, exciting. It's, there's almost something, even though the two characters in that monologue uh, have clearly been together for a while, there's still something kind of fresh and fun and exciting about the relationship. And then you get to, you get to my monologue and it's like, here's where everything has gone to crap. How do you deal with that? And then you get to your monologue, which is you cleanse and you move on. Here's how you yeah. deal with it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so interesting how really those songs cool. served as pillars to kind of lead us on this narrative that I think mm. none of us could have ever planned or expected. And that to me is what is so interesting about this podcast and this process and this project is the unexpected tethers that you find between each piece. And Absolutely. so, yeah, I, so. I really think it's um, beautiful how you are able to capture that really universal experience of grief mm -hmm. because we grieve all kinds of things. I mean, I think we've all been grieving this year of our loss <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> everything. a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything. <laughs> Literally everything. The other uh, thing I'll mention just as we head into the next piece, because it kind of also is, is, is part of the next piece, is that going from the beginning of this, just from what Peter said, what he took from his pieces and what he wrote about is there's is this reoccurring thing of writing about a very strong woman and uh that strong woman can be positive or can be negative and the reactions to that um that these characters have but the thing that i find really interesting is that we have melanie brule and then coming up in the next piece uh cat montgomery and both of them are also writing about a woman they, uh, you know, which I, I really like is that it's it's not necessarily this gender thing where the men write about the woman and then the woman, the women are the woman or something. Both of them are also taking that, but they're also giving it their own perspective, which is really cool. Uh, and I think that takes us into uh, the next piece, which is Maybe I Am Different by Wizard Wizard, uh, which is uh, Kent Montgomery and uh, Joe McClain. Every day is different. And every day is different. So I'm going to start here with uh, 
Danielle, uh, what did uh, you think about this piece? This is what you use as your inspiration. So what are your thoughts? Well, I had it on repeat for a number of days. Uh, the first few days as I was trying to figure out how do I do this in such a short period of time. I'm usually a more uh, stretched out writer, shall we say. So I really appreciated the challenge of um, this fast turnover deadline. But I, I kept going to um, the combination of their voices, um, especially as the song really picked up sp speed and steam and, and got kind of three quarters through to the end. Like I loved how they were overlapping with each other um, in their chorus and in like all, all ports of the songs. I really enjoyed, I mean, I still have it in my head all the time, I'm like humming it when I walk around the house, <laughs> clean, you know, hang out with my cat. Uh, maybe I am different. I'm sure we all are different. <laughs> Again, after the last year we've all had. So it um, was really fun to get to use that piece um, as an inspiration because it, it ended up going in a very different tonal direction um, with what I was writing than what I initially expected. Um, at first I was expecting to write it a bit of an upbeat love song <laughs> or a love piece, love monologue, love poem, however you want to put that. And then it uh, didn't, I guess it turned out maybe as a love poem to myself or that character, whoever, how you write it. But um, yeah, I, there were certain lines I really ruminated over and that stuck with me. And um, this image of the woman that you're in love with and you can't stop thinking about like that really um, stuck in my head and really served as that core nugget of inspiration that led me into my own work. And I mean, I'm a queer person, so I'm bisexual and I, I date people of all genders. Well, I did before I was married to a lady <laughs> <laughs> in my past life. But, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about those gender dynamics through this whole episode as well, because I appreciate that we're queering the terrain a little bit in the expectations of who's singing about who or who's writing about from whose perspective and that not all these relationships have to fit into a traditional heteronormative um, layer or expectation. And so, um, yeah, she is, she is so easy to love this woman, but she's also so hard to love. And I think as we've gone through the process of this whole story of the episode, that's even richer hearing them all in concert together. So I love this piece. It's, I mean, it's just a banger. It's a great song. So <laughs> it is. Good job, I, it's, Wizard it's, Wizard. <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite a joyful song, and I, and and I, I came at it from a slightly different perspective. That I thought this was actually the place where, um, after therapy, uh, um, uh, for lack of a better, well, for the definition that I'm I'm working on, it, it's that main character, the person that's been talking all the way through this, and Chloe, coming together and saying, "Hey." wait a sec, we are sane. We know what's going on. We live in a world that is of our making, that we care about, that we have, that we exist in, that we are together in and saying, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's a place where we can be and be good with that. Maybe we are different, but we're good with the fact that we're different mm -hmm. and we're enjoying what we have. At least that's my perspective on what was going on in this particular song. 
I quite enjoyed it. And, and the fact that it does have that, uh, what Sean called the oingle boingle effect, um, it's, it's just enervating. It's just like, hey, it's all, you know, all that, 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 that kind of um, disparate ornamentation and, and or sorry, disparate instrumentation just makes you feel good. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I, I picture Danny Elfman in his little muscle shirt you know his guitar playing this one because it's like it's it's so much fun that's what i said to them and i was like this is this is the oingo boingo song i've always wanted this is absolutely fantastic (laughs) brian this came from your piece so what do you think about it um coming off of my piece the 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 one of the one of the one of the repeated lines in the song uh everything is different but in the same way that was something that I, i was you know in relation to my monologue and where i was coming from this was kind of this is something once again that that I felt when I was in this relationship with this person. It's just like yeah, okay, so every day is going to be a is going to be a different kind of situation. It's going to be like I might be dealing with a different person. Like I don't know what I'm going to be dealing with, but yet it always feels exactly the same because I already know what's coming. I just don't know what form or shape it's going to take. So that line alone in that song, I was like, that's, that's awesome. Totally, totally made sense to me. When I think the repetition almost kind of spoke like a mantra, like you're trying to convince yourself yeah. of what you're saying and kind of creating that reality. And in some that really builds off of your piece really well, I think of this, creating this reality with Chloe and then this radical self-acceptance of your reality Mm -hmm. and the reality you've made to cope however you need to get to that healing process. Hearing you say after that therapy session, right? You're trying to use your own psychology to will yourself forward in the process of healing, I think in some ways. So uh, Wizard Wizard have some comments about what they took. Uh, They say, after reading the piece, uh, this is Brian's monologue, we imagine the monologue as a statement to the police. So, Brian, uh, I think maybe you want to go back and uh, take back all those comments about how this is this was really inspired by your own experiences. And, uh, you know, I didn't uh, kill anybody for the record. (laughs) Nor have I. (laughs) So. they say, starting with confirmation of the character's own sanity. There were also good lines in the writing, in the writing like impossible not to fall for, and she became a completely different person over time, which inspired the chorus. Basically, we pictured the monologue character talking to themselves in the mirror of an interrogation room. They're with their invisible friend and confessing to the faceless authorities behind the mirror. Then the character in the song considers that maybe they are different, considering the situation they find themselves in. Um, and when I read this, based on everything that we've been talking about, uh, I kind of feel like this is, you know, this is the, like the supervillain origin story, you know, this is the, <laughs> this is the, but it, in a good way, in a, in an affirmation way, this is the, I am comfortable with myself and oh, you know what? I'm the Joker and that's okay. <laughs> and fuck y'all. <laughs> um, well, it's very like no. Maleficent or Cruella de Vil, right? Yeah. You can, yeah. You're always going to have a story from a different perspective depending on who is telling it. So exactly. It's fascinating. You know what? I haven't seen that new Cruella film, but I feel like this song would go really well at the end of that <laughs> movie. I feel like even without seeing it, that's going to be perfect. Now I'm going to be disappointed that it's Disney, <laughs> Disney Plus. Take note. Pay wizard wizard for their art. (laughs) 
So uh, that takes us into the last piece. And the last piece was written by the great Danielle. And it is called Go to the Water. Reckless and fragile. The river doesn't owe us warning when she has been desecrated, and neither do I. If it is warm enough. And it usually and is. Usually is. Peel off your dress. Nakedness flush becomes you. Let your puckering skin resist like flesh cold after feathers plucked wade into the water. Washing off precious platitudes. Splashing up past your knees. Keep moving through pain and judgment. Keep moving. Um, I've always found water to be a very healing thing for me. I've always been very attached to bodies of water, which is a little ironic since I am right smack dab in the middle of the old continent, good old Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, but I've always felt very attached to the coast or even in Saskatoon, we have this beautiful river running right in the middle. Um, and that feeling of weightlessness when you're floating to me is one of the most um, peaceful and healing postures that one can have um, just floating and being. And so I kind of imagined this person who had been harmed in some way, whatever that is, whether that's through a breakup or through whatever kind of piece they're processing. I didn't really focus too much on, on their backstory. Um, a lot of my work comes from, I'm a spoken word performance artist and I love gender bending uh, poetry and theater and seeing how they can challenge each other and mix and so I know that my interpretation of a monologue was a little bit different than how a lot of other folks might have uh, thrown it in there but I really um, just so enjoyed the process of when I thought of the layering voices of Wizard Wizard's performance in the song it, it really made me think about kind of lapping waves over your ears when you're kind of floating in water and how how do we hear more than one thing at once and and having more than one thought at once and then how do we have more than one poem happen at once and then we ended up with this weird old experimental baby so go to the water was born um but uh it's interesting to hear that that one line was coming from your piece as well with um she's impossible not to fall for because that was really a line that I clutched onto, um, imagining that the protagonist of this monologue was mourning the loss of a lover that was impossible to not love, but also the water is that person that is impossible to not person, that figure, <laughs> that entity that is impossible to not love. So yeah, I'm so curious to hear what you all thought about it. I kind of lived in my own spoken word bubble with this one. So lay it on me. Oh, well, we loved it. <laughs> just to quickly go off what you just said there, though, this the line of uh, impossible not to fall for. Uh, you know, I feel like that goes all the way back to Nathan's piece, too, because in his piece where where he's like, she came up, she surprised me. She spilled water all over me. She laughed at me. Anyway, we're in love now. You know, it's like, it's obviously after that, you know, obviously, obviously I love her now. Um, I'm going to go through my notes very, very, very quickly. And uh, um, I'm just going to read them the way I wrote them down here. Um, just dealing with your piece, but then this is in a bunch of different ways. I, I love the fact that this, and generally about the, the show as well. 
I love the fact that this uh, stream started with uh, poetry and ended with poetry. I love the fact that you came back to that and gave us some, a, a kind of poetry, yeah. sort of a mirrors off the, the first images. Um, that, that, that this particular piece was an evocation of the mind of this character that has been through this entire piece. Because it, 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 when it wasn't until we got to this piece that I went, oh yeah. <laughs> This is really is all about this one particular character and the different ways that he looks at different situations or feels about different situations and how he's dealing with them at a particular point in time. So I, I felt like this as a whole flow was was amazing. Um, yeah, that, that's by next note was this is the first stream where it could be argued and I'm not saying that I would argue very hard about it that all the pieces were from the same character that they were the same care. All the writers took their own spin at viewing the world from different angles and different perspectives. That's what I wrote down. Now, here's where we get, get to the thing that I think you, you might be interested in. When I first read your poem, I felt that it was from a feminine voice. And then immediately afterwards, I thought it was from a masculine voice. And then I read it again and I wasn't sure anymore. <laughs> good <laughs> and then now hang on and then i asked myself a question i said why am i trying to put this into a masculine or a feminine voice that is wrong what is your problem there is no reason to be doing that hmm. and i had to question my own perceptions of what you were writing and how you were writing it to understand or try to understand that i was basing my ideas on the assumption of of sexuality hmm. And it was like, oh, wait a second here. I got to stop doing that. I got to stop thinking that way. I've got to stop uh, allowing that to color the way that I read and then eventually listened to the poetry that you were trying to create. Which I think brings us to the fact that this was uh, wonderfully performed by uh, Joey O'Dale. They did uh, an absolutely fantastic job. And uh, I think allowed uh, the performance to uh, uh, give those two different perspectives when we give the two different voices. They're from Saskatchewan too, I believe. Oh, great. Lovely. I don't know them. Now I can. <laughs> How exciting. What a time to be alive. Um, no, I really appreciate hearing that, um, that uncertainty around um, who the speaker is. And I guess that's partially because I didn't have a clear character that I'd created before I started writing this. Um, to me, it almost didn't matter who was speaking it, if that makes sense. It was- Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very and, much so. And I think that's reflective in the way that you wrote to the different parts of the poem. Each part of the poem had a kind of voice that had a, a kind of signature, but it didn't have to be defined to make its point. Yeah, it, it, it started actually as two different poems. Um, and then I was like, how do we make it a super poem? <laughs> <laughs> so that when I line it up, they can, the lines can speak to each other and make yeah. sense as a more cohesive piece. So the editing part was one of the most satisfying, fun parts of creating it, actually, because at first I'd written this one free write uh, based on experiencing the song by Wizard Wizard, and then I did another and those got edited and edited. And then I was like, no, they are, they are, they're partners, they're pals, they got to live in one land. And so I, it kind of was a fun puzzle to try to solve how do these lines speak to each other or not, or change the meaning of the overall piece once they're 
performed together as opposed to separately. That's great. It's like yeah. the Megazord of poems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full transformer moment, right? <laughs> now, so here's my last last written bit that I had that I had to write down to make sure I can actually say it again because at the time it was just like I'm not sure what I'm saying. It's one of the things I mentioned to you is like, can I actually talk coherently about this piece? Because it it, it gets in your brain and you're all of a sudden playing with images and letting those images float around and traverse your brain and drop in here and, and and sneaking out there but um you you take that urbanized complexly dysfunctional character the one that's the, the basis for most of uh for everything that's been written in this as far as i'm concerned that that's been looked at in several ways and put them in a world a natural world to explore and tell us what they thought and felt and if we take that one step further, the invisible friend Chloe that was in the song as well as Brian's piece spoke up and with their voice as well. And that coming together let the, lets this poem combine and come forth. Or as I said at the last line, or I could just be drunk and rambling on by this point. <laughs> but I think that that's the, the thing that got me about the poem is that it does come from a a perspective and a perspective but that's that joining of those two perspectives when you put those two poems together that really gives that concept of what you're calling healing and lets that poem resound and float over our brains and sit in different aspects of the character and and allows that character that 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 final moment of not relief but coherence where they, they brought themselves back together at a point of healing. So I, I think the, the piece is wonderful. I just, oh, thank you. Woo! I've just been jumping <laughs> up and down ever since I got the first recording. I've just been, been amazed. I was tickled. I was tickled pink when I heard it. <laughs> I showed yeah. it to my partner and he was like, nah, yeah, that sounds like a Danielle poem. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You could have recorded that. That sounds like a you. And I was like, well, I have a perspective and I guess that's what I write. <laughs> so. uh, Brian, do you have any comments on this one? I'm not sure if we uh, defer to you here. <laughs> uh, I absolutely loved this piece. Uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, I, I like the, the, the poetic nature of it. I like that it wasn't, uh, you know, a tr if you will, a traditional monologue. Um, having, the, having the different voices was, uh, was, was just beautiful to hear. The, what really struck me was the visual imagery that the monologue paints in your brain. Like you can't, or at least for me personally, I couldn't not see these visuals of this ritual involving water, whatever that ritual uh, is. Uh, and then, of course, the emotions that all of that stirs up. And then, you know, like coming off of coming off of my piece into the next song and then into 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 your piece, Danielle, uh, it's like, OK, so here's this person. This horrible thing has happened now that it's over they have to kind of reconcile with themselves and they have to move on. And then as we've already stated, you know, like we get to your piece and it's clearly, a, you know, it, be, it became about cleansing, about moving on. And the fact that you, you know, would use imagery like the, or evoke emotions like the sting of the cold water. Yes, this is something that's going to feel scary and it might, it, it might sting you a little bit. It might hurt you a little bit, but in the end, this is the, this is the good thing. This is the way 
that you can move forward. This is how you can become whole again. So, you know, if, you know, if, if the, say the character's still in a relationship and it's not good, yeah, it's going to be really, really scary to move on from uh, what you're used to or what you're accustomed to, even though you know it's not right. But take that leap of faith, go through that, go through those emotional stings, and then in the end, you're going you're gonna to come out a, a stronger person because of it. It's hard work to take care of yourself. And I mm-hmm. think that somewhere along the way, I mean, maybe I'm getting to lefty communist raw raw takedown capitalism but like there's been a lot of messaging. just like everyone in saskatchewan you're all <laughs> someone's gotta keep us on the left you know it's just a balancing act but you know there's there's a lot of these messages that capitalism has been teaching us for so long that don't allow us to prioritize healing and quiet and and rest and taking care of ourselves and so that's something that I think has been showing up a lot in my work. I'm, I'm a chronically ill person. I, I have chronic migraines and have, I mean, as we saw, I thought that this recording was happening yesterday because I had migraine brain and I was uh, completely incapacitated. And so it's forced me, a pretty ambitious, busybody type person, to reevaluate my own standards of success and what healing and rest looks like. And, and how to make space for that and speak very forcefully and confidently to myself about the importance of prioritizing healing and floating and resting. And so, I don't know, I, I would, didn't really plan that when I wrote the piece, but it seems to be something I'm looking back on it and seeing a bit of that stamp of trying to honor room for the self-care and the healing. And, and one thing too, in terms of that healing, they yeah you your your monologue had a lot of repetition like saying the same things over and over and over again and when when we are trying to heal from things and you're going to use positive affirmations they say repeat them over and over and over again eventually they will stick and they will become your reality so that was another nice touch in your piece well i think that brings us to the end uh i want to thank uh danielle richardson and brian russell for joining us and lending their uh brilliant insights and comments about their own pieces and everyone else's pieces uh thank you again to uh jamie johnson uh the usual host of these programs and my co-producer um and i'm just gonna wrap this up by uh talking about where people can reach us uh we are on instagram and facebook and twitter at at variations pod uh if you want to email us you can find us at uh, streams and variations podcast at gmail.com and all of our uh, episodes as well as information about all of the artists as well as the full prompts uh, so the poems that we read at the beginning of this talk back as well as the prompts for all of the other episodes are on our website so you can go on and find those and read them and see them uh, I think that brings us to the end any final comments? Awesome well thanks so much Fantastic. have a good evening everyone. Thank you guys. Thanks, Bye! Guys.